We now begin a new Masechta. This is Maseches Ksuvos, and this will be the basic introduction to the Masechta. The Masechta is named after the marriage contract called the Ksuba, which I'm sure most everyone is already familiar with. Um, the Ksuba means one which is written down quite literally, um, and it is essentially a document which protects a wife in the event that her husband divorces her or that he dies, that she should have certain financial protections. So in the Ksuba are set forth the various uh, rights and responsibilities, uh, really the rights of the woman and responsibilities the husband has to her primarily, um, to protect her. Now the origins of the Ksuba are actually a machlokus, whether it's Doraisa or Madurabanan, that is to say whether the obligation is from a, the Torah or only rabbinic in nature. Those who point to the Doraisa obligation um, cite the verse which says, uh, it's a it's a pasuk in uh, Shmos, Perik Tes Zion pasuk Chaves, I believe, um, which talks about how, in certain scenarios, a, a man must give kesef yishkol kamor habesulos. He has to give this woman who he victimized um, an amount of silver, like mor habesulos, like the marriage contract, the mohar marriage contract of besulos virgins, and. They cite that as a source that there is such a thing as a mohar, a ksuba, a marriage contract that goes to women um, when they get married, um, as a basula. The truth is that even those who hold that it's a doraisa in nature, agreed only applies to um, women who are basulos. Now, never married before, in other words. The actual amount of the ksuba, um, which for a basula is said to be 200 zuz, a zuz being the same as a dinar, um, is actually learned out um, from a drush of this from the, from the psukim here because the amount that the silver that this man will be giving to this woman is fifty shekalim of the Torah, and the shekel of the Torah is equal to the it's equivalent of the sela of the Mishnah, and therefore dinarim or for zuz to one sela. So if it's fifty shekel, meaning fifty sela in the psukim, it would mean two hundred um, zuz, two hundred dinar, um, time of the Mishnah. Because that's the the basis of that. Now. Others, most others learn that the obligation to give a ksuba to one's wife is a rabbinic obligation. And the rationale is shlote kala be'ena that it shouldn't be a light matter for a man to divorce his wife. You'll recall that before Rabbeinu Gershom came on the scene in the it's called 11th century, early 11th century, in Europe, the halacha is, minatora that a man may divorce a woman, his wife, bal korcha, without her consent. So that being the case, the woman needed some protection. And the rabbi said the woman is protected by having this significant financial disincentive that if he would divorce her, he has to pay her out this ksuva money, which is, let's call it now, 200 zuz. 200 zuz in the time of the Mishnah, um, you can see from what we learned in Masechah's Peah, that it's roughly speaking the amount of money that a person would need um, to provide for all his needs for a year, a calendar year. So it's a good amount of money um, in the time of the Mishnah, and that's the rationale here, that she should be protected. Of course, the Ksuba has a payout both in the event of divorce or upon his death. So the death payout, like life insurance, if you will, comparable to life insurance, um, is certainly not something which would fit into the rubric of not wanted to divorce her and get rid of her. But the idea is that the rabbis wanted to 
protect women and to give them incentive to get married. And since the a major driving force behind the woman getting married is to ensure she is protected, financially and otherwise. So therefore, um, one of the important protections she needs to be given is not just um, that she won't be divorced, but also in the event of her husband's death, that she'll be protected financially. And therefore, in the death as well, she gets paid out this, I'll call it 200 zuz. Now, that 200 zuz number, first of all, whether, again, Doraisa, Dorabanan, interestingly, Doraisa, there are those who point to a remez in the verse because the word kamohar like the marriage contract with Basulos, you could read it as Kamohar is spelt Chaf Mem Hey Resh. So Chaf Mem Hey spells Kama, how much? Resh is the number is the letter for two hundred in Gamachia, so it's like two hundred, two hundred Zuz. And that two hundred Zuz is um the basic obligation that a man has to provide for a woman in the Ksuba if she is a Basula. She's never slept with a man before. Um, if she's no longer a basula, she's a widow, divorcee, etc., so then the standard ksuba is 100 zuz. So that number, 100 or 200 zuz, is called ikr ksuba, the essential ksuba, and that number is set by what's called tanai bezdin. In other words, the rabbi said, that's the absolute bare minimum, and there's no possibility of the ksuba going below that number. So meaning um, some ksubos and sometimes places actually were just written Tanai Basin as opposed to giving an exact number. Um, but that number um, is the bottom is the bottom uh, number, uh, lower threshold. So that means, hypothetically, if a woman entered into ksuba and you see like on the ksuba, you know, so to speak, it says she's getting 25, 25 zuz and she's initialed it and she agrees and there's a big red line through the, you know, the 100 and it's written 25 whatever the story is, Makes no difference. Two hundred for first-time uh, marriages, basulos, and a hundred for non-basulos, second-time marriages, um, is an actual bare minimum, regardless of what's written in the ksuba. But there's the possibility of what's called tosefes ksuba. They could supplement. They could add more. So the ksuba could be not just for two hundred, but for you know two millions of if uh, the husband's agreeable. Now, when a woman enters into a marriage, um, she is likely to bring with her a dowry, stuff. She has assets that she brings to the marriage. So those assets, um, as part of the the unit of marriage, can be treated in one of two ways. Either they're called nechse tzon barzel or nechse malug. Nechse, meaning nechasim, are property. And the property can be characterized in one of two ways. The tzon barzel, which literally means tzon is like a flock of animals, like of cattle, of, of sheep and goats. And barzel is... Um, iron. So these are iron sheep. The idea being that in if her asset she brings in, let's say hypothetically and commonly was, say a flock of sheep. So she brings a flock of sheep in. The problem with the flock of sheep is, you know, if everything goes well, the sheep can make babies. And there can be lots of flocks of sheep with many, many sheep and they can produce lots of wool, etc., etc. But it could also happen that in one night you know, there's a lightning storm and they all die or the wolves get them or the bandits rob them or whatever the story is. And they could end up being, you know, essentially dead or worth nothing. So if the woman wants to ensure that when she leaves the marriage, she gets back what she brought into it, what will happen is they will appraise the value of the assets she's bringing into the marriage. So let's say that they'll take the flock of, you know, of sheep to the expert flock appraiser. He'll say there are 100 sheep here. Each sheep is worth $100. So it's a $10,000 flock. And they'll actually, um, in the... Ksuba, they will write, in addition to the Ksuba, they will say, plus $10,000 in the form of sheep. And 
That's sown barzel. The iron sheep means it's ironclad, it's set in stone, set in iron, that she'll get back $10,000 in the event of a death or divorce, regardless of what happens to the sheep. So that means that he is now absorbing and, and shouldering the, the risk of the sheep. If the sheep, if the flock grows and make lots of babies and there's a bigger flock, that's to his benefit. If the flock gets diminished, dies, appreciates, whatever it is, so then um, it is... Doesn't if it's his loss, but she's protected. She still gets the same ten thousand dollars that she value of dollars, in other words, that she brought into the marriage. So that's called sewn barzel because it's sort of set in iron the the flock, and it applies to anything. It doesn't need to be sheep. It could be a sweater. It could be an apartment building, and so on. The point is, it's written in the contract, the ksuba, how much it's worth. The other kind of assets she can bring into the marriage are called nechse malug. Literally means like plucking property. Doesn't translate very well. Um, it could be referring perhaps to the fact that he has what are called usufruct rights, meaning he could, has use of the fruit, so the produce. He can pluck the fruit off the trees, etc., or pluck the shearings off the sheep. So, in the same example we gave before, let's say she brings in this flock of 100 sheep into the marriage. She wants it not to be tzombarzo, she wants it to be nechsemelug. That means that we won't appraise the sheep and we won't give a dollar amount to it. But in the event that they get divorced, so then she will take her flock with her. If the flock had babies, she's richer. If the flock didn't have babies and lots of them died, she's poorer. But that's her prerogative to opt for that. Now, while they're married, this nechsimolog, usufruct property, um, is part of the, of the marriage, and he, the husband, has the rights to make use of what it produces. So, if there's milk or there's wool, whatever it is, every year he can shear those sheep and make use of the wool. And, you know, when he sells the wool for 100 bucks, he can spend 100 bucks whenever he wants, whether it's to take her out or spend it on himself and drink beer. That's his prerogative. So, Nechse Malug, the plucking fro- property, <clears throat> he can pluck, you know, off the, the payros, the production of this asset every year while they're married. Um, so, Similarly, just to give a different example to make sure it's clear, if you're talking about like she brings a, a, a apartment building into the marriage, so if it's nechse malug, it means that every year the rent that collects goes to him to do as he sees fit. Um, another shot in what malug is referring to the plucking is like when you remove the hide off of an animal, like when you're if you're making like leather, you basically skin the animal, um, and that malug, like you pluck it off the animal, it's like him, the husband, in the event of his divorce. Like he essentially gets skinned, and his what he had, the you know the real estate building that he had when his wife brought into the marriage now gets plucked from him. So when she, those are two possibilities: In the event that a woman um, gets an inheritance or some kind of gift while she's married, so that automatically becomes meaning it's part of the marriage. While they're married, he has rights to make use of whatever it produces, but the corpus, the actual item itself goes back to her in the event of a divorce. So the ksuba does say a little more than just the um, dollar amounts. It also sets a few other um, rights that she has, or better yet, obligations that he has to her. Um, first of all, he has to provide her with mazonos. Mazonos, um, translated literally, would mean something like you know food and nourishment. Um, that's certainly true. Um, but it means all of her material requirements, which include um, also not just food, but also clothing, begadim, and also rafua. He has to pay for her medical bills or her medicine and so on. That's his responsibility. So if, if he went away on vacation, left her behind, then she runs up a tab at the local grocery store. When he comes back, he has to pay her tab and so on, or her credit card bills and that kind of thing. In addition, um, 
he takes upon himself to um, be to 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 redeem her, to ransom her in the event that someone stole her and is you know holding her for ransom. So then um, the husband is required to pay that ransom to get his wife back. That's part of the deal. Um, he also has to um, provide her um, with ona attention and time, um, private time together, uh, as well as um, he's responsible for kavura, her burial, which means not just the paying for the burial, but um, if he's alive, also to be metapel, to be um, involved, to ensure the ver- burial is done in a proper, timely, you know, respectable way. He's responsible to bury her. That's his responsibility. He takes it upon himself. Um, and in the event that he dies, um, he still, his estate will still provide for her mizonos, as well as the mizonos of her young daughters unmarried. Um, as for him, he actually is entitled under normal circumstances to for her mitzios, things that she finds, um, as well as maisa um, yadeha, if she actually works, and then she contributes to the family budget, he essentially has use of that money also to decide how to allocate it. Um, and again, if she gets anything during the marriage, like a, a Yerusha or something, so he has use of it while they're married. Okay, so that's the, the basic suba. Um, now, obviously, I just, before I move on, I have to say the obvious, which is, while the suba does formalize sort of the obligations the parties, particularly the husband, has to the wife, um, that's certainly not what defines a marriage, right? A marriage is a lot more than what's in the contract. That would be a very sad marriage if all they really had interest in and claim upon was what was stipulated in the in the ksuba. That's just the bare minimum. And again, to protect the woman um, from uh, those variety of things we discussed before. Now, one of the topics I want to discuss to understand um, about this mesechta is when the obligation for ksuba kicks in. So there are two stages to marriage in Jewish law. One is called erusin, which is also referred to as kedushin. It's the same thing. Um, and the other one is called nesuin. Now, these are difficult to translate in English exactly. Um, sometimes I translate erusin as engaged and nesuin as marriage in other recordings, um, but I always right away start hemming and hawing that's a terrible translation because it is a terrible translation. The truth is um, that they're both marriage steps, and a woman is fully married at erusin. Erusin the Kedushin, same thing, when the husband and wife agree to marry, and she agrees that she'll be his wife, and she essentially transfers the rights to marry her to him, through Kesef or Star or Bia, he gives the ring, etc., and she says, yes, I'm accepting the ring in exchange, I'm committing myself to you, that I will be only your wife. At that point, um, no one else can marry her, array after after Kedushin, after Erisin, she's a married woman. If someone would sleep with her, so they're liable to adultery. And we saw about another context we've seen in Midoraisa. If he's a Kohen, she could eat Truma, and so on and so forth. Now, although they're married, um, they're not living together. In the time of the Mishnah, there were these two stages. The, f- the first stage being Erisin was like when legally she becomes forbidden to everybody else. But yet they're not really living together as a, as a husband and wife in a normal sense at all. Um, Typically, she'd be living at home with her parents for a while, perhaps as long as a year, um, in which time she'd get ready for her marriage, preparing her wedding dress and making other arrangements. Um, Nisuin, the second stage of marriage, is largely a functional difference. It means that they're now living together as husband and wife in the more normal sense of the word. Now, to the, the, it's a legalistic religion, of course, and we want to know exactly when Nisuin occurs. So the, the act which effects Nisuin 
is not a Kenyan, like it was by Kedushin. Um, rather, it's something called Chuppah. Now, what is Chuppah? That is a large machlokas with a number of shitas. The word Chuppah comes from like Chipuya covering. And um, some some understand that Chuppah simply means that they have, but whatever, but what define exactly, the gist of Chuppah and Nesuin is that they are living together as husband and wife. They're doing what married people do and not and not um, just legally committed and bonded, but they're actually living together as husband and wife. So what actually effect that is Chuppah? So some learn the shot simply as Yichud. They're covered from the public eye. And that means that um, if they're in a, since Jewish men and Jewish women do not seclude themselves alone out of the public eye, Yichud, being isolated from, you know, from public eye by themselves. So therefore, that's something that's reserved to, for married people. And so if a, the the couple um, have yichud for whatever, 10 minutes, something like that, so then that's what, only a married thing to do, and therefore that, that indicates clearly that they're married. That, that's the beginning of Nesuin. That's the act itself. Um, this chuppah is not a it's not a euphemism for bia. That's not what it means. It's not the point at all. The point is simply that they are living as husband and wife, meaning like doing something in private. They're being in private together. Others learn that the chuppah is referring to being covered by like a like a like a canopy over them, as you see in weddings, you know, um, exactly that. So spreading that that canopy over them is what does it. Perhaps he has to. It's a symbolic uh, rishus, his like kind of private domain, and he has to bring her into it. Um, a third shita is hinumia, um, like that he covers her, like the bedekin. He he covers his bride, like you know, dressing her essentially, drawing the veil over her face. The point is, in since it's not normal for anybody to dress anybody else's wife. The fact that he's putting a veil on her face and dressing her is a symbolic act that says they're now husband and wife and functioning that way. And that would be considered a chuppah according to some, which would affect the nesuin. Everyone would agree, just to make sure this is clear, that if the mar- like the wedding ceremony skipped the step of yichud or there was no canopy or there was no bedekin, and but she moves in with them and they're living as husband and wife, then for sure everyone agrees that Living together after Arison makes them Nesuin and they're married, no doubt about it. The question just is, what's the, the legal step which effects it first? And that's very important because the halacha of Ksuba is that, the halacha anyways, is that um, the Ksuba is only effective, her rights only kick in from Nesuin, not from Arison, not from Kedushin. Um, not when they commit to get married or whatever, they've been legally bounded through Kedushin, Erezin, rather, but when they Nisuin, they really are functioning as husband and wife. And therefore, that's important to know exactly when it happens. Um, but at all events, although there is a Machlokas, if there's Ksuba payable to after Erezin, um, the Halach is certainly after Nisuin only. Okay, so that really serves as like the basic introduction to the, the main themes, introductory themes of the Masechta. We have 13 Prakim. They don't easily lend themselves to sort of describing the structure and topics um, of the Masechta, so I'll sort of um, do it kind of a little bit ad hoc, case by case, as we move through the Prakim. We do have 13 Prakim, and um, and Be'ez Hashem, with that background, we'll be ready now to learn the Masechta inside. One final thing I do want to say is that the opening chapter of the Masechta deals with the definition of who's entitled to um, the Kasuba of a Basula, of a, of a virgin, and therefore, we define those terms quite technically, and um, it may not be appropriate recordings for uh, mixed audiences. Um, so I'll leave you, the listener, to use your good judgment to decide uh, when and where to play these recordings.